Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we dive deep into how you can use data to measure, manage, and optimize your health with the latest science and technology. This show is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed for individuals and healthcare professionals who need a precise way to measure and manage health data. Check us out at headsuphealth.com. If you've got comments, questions, or feedback on this show, shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's get into our next exciting episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. It's nice to be back here on the show. We took a little hiatus, but really excited for the next set of interviews that we're going to offer up here. And my guest today is Dr. Cheng Ruan, and he's with the Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine. And he and I met, oh, I don't know, 18 months ago, right when the pandemic first started. And we've been collaborating ever since. And uh, Dr. Ron is really at the cutting edge of how digital health, digital interactions, consumer technology, all of these trends are now starting to become adopted inside of medical practices. So Dr. Ron, thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited to go deeper into this because Heads Up is all about digital health, digital media, patient empowerment, patient data collection, but there's never really been a connection point back into the traditional medical world. So this is a really interesting area that we're in. So welcome to the show. Give us a little bit on your background and then I'll start blasting you with questions. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate that. So my name is Shane Ron. I'm a board certified internal medicine physician. Started Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine in 2017. And uh, it's been going ever since. So the focus, uh, my focus, is to prove that integrative health can be practiced uh, within an insurance model and within Medicare and all government insurances and to serve the general public. And uh, we've proven that to be true, but it was has not been an easy journey. A lot of that. journey. You're a startup entrepreneur just like we are building that thing. Yeah, yeah. So took some risk and had very unexpected turns. Coronavirus is one of them. Hurricane Harvey was another one at the very beginning and realized that in order to keep medical systems consistent, the technology has to be there to be consistent. So I think earlier on when I started Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, I had a sort of a false mindset. And the mindset is, well, you know, I know what it takes to uh, run a medical practice. I was in private practice before that. I was going to do the same thing, but just convert it, you know, to integrative health, right? That really backfired <laughs> a lot, multiple different times, because the cost of healthcare, the fixed cost of healthcare is ridiculous in, in private practice, you know? And then over the years, I learned that the only consistent thing about a business is the technology. Because if we have a system, it's always going to work in sequence, right? And if we have a system that talks to other systems, they're always going to work the way we design it to work. Versus most medical practices, you have a huge turnover when it comes to employees, and so you're at the mercy of your senior employee training new employees coming in. And then this person is going on 
um, maternity leave or going on break or whatever it is. Right. And then COVID hit and half the people were at home. Right. And so in order to pivot when it comes to a lot of different situations, the technology has to be absolutely solid. And I got obsessed about looking at new and developing up and coming technologies to make sure that we as doctors and practitioners do what we do best, know what we know best is practice medicine, take care of our patients and not be so burdened when it comes to a lot of these administrative tasks, which is creating most of, you know, physician burnout in the United States, which is at 44%, 44% of doctors are burnt out in the U S according to Mayo Clinic. And so that's, that's my sort of general background into why we're, uh, I'm even on this with you. So, well, you touched on something that I just kind of want to go a little deeper on. You said you wanted to prove out the business model for right. integrative practice operating inside of the insurance system, inside of the Medicare system. And that's not something a lot of integrative practices want to do. In fact, most of them, many of them over the last few years have, have left that system completely. That's changing, I think. And we can talk more about that. But you've really said, okay, I want to crack this nut. I want to show that there's a repeatable, sustainable business model here to practice integrative health inside of the payer system. And that seems to be unique. And I guess it's probably not surprising that you got your teeth kicked in a few times. Like any hard endeavor, that's going to happen. I've been there a thousand times myself. I still get kicked in the mouth on a regular basis, building heads up. But what was it that made you say, I really want to improve this? I love the fact that you said you wanted to be of service and to be able to bring this type of care to people who need it. Maybe not otherwise have access to that type of care when you're just inside of uh, Medicare, for example. You're on a very traditional uh, Western medicine type of a plan. So was that really the driving force was to offer integrative options to people on, that wouldn't normally have access to it? This is where the why comes in, right? Yeah, <laughs> and man. So, yeah, that's the why. I guess that's basically yeah. a long-winded way of asking the why. And I'll give you a longer-winded way of the, of the answer. Right. Uh, just kidding. It's going to be relatively short. But long story short, you know, I'm the sixth generation of doctors in the family. My grandfather brought Western medicine to the East in Southeast China. So he was known for integrating herbal therapies with, you know, injectable steroids. He brought aspirin to the province. He was a very famous uh, physician before he passed away. And so, you know, he was called an integrated physician because he brought Western medicine to the East, right? And so for me, I always thought it'd be cool to bring sort of Eastern medicine to the West. So my mom first did it. She opened her acupuncture herb clinic in, here in Houston. And then my dad, he's currently one of the deans of uh, pharmacoinformatics at University of Houston. And so he's MD, PhD. So I've always had sort of this both sides um, married together my whole life. So integrative medicine was my common medicine, right? And I find that it's really strange that people don't have access to both sides of the coin. And not only do they not have access, they're not educated. And so when I went to medical school, I've always had that as a frame set in my head. So I went to medical school, learned all these different things, went into residency, and I realized there's the biggest disappointment is that, man, we get to tell people what medications to be on, but have we been trained to get people off these medications? No, <laughs> we haven't, right? And you know, Eastern medicine, the philosophy is that even herbs and supplements are temporary. 
until you get the body to balance where it goes. But that's not the demand of the public <laughs> in the Western world, right? Within Europe and United States. So until very recently, I think, where there's this rise of you know, functional medicine, plant-based medicine, lifestyle medicine. And this massive rise really uh, changed the language of the people. And so 2017, you were starting to see a lot of things trending on Twitter. You know, Mark Hyman was trending on Twitter and Dr. Oz and all these different people. And whether or not they were saying things that I agree with or I didn't agree with, but it was still trending. So the trend there is to get people to be empowered into their own health. And so the future, I mean, that's where the future is going. And I, you know, I really wanted to leave a legacy here, you know, for my two daughters, letting them know that, hey, daddy's going to work on this, but daddy's going to fulfill the legacy of what great grandpa did in China and but do in the United States, but also make it commonplace within the government structures and within re insurance reimbursement structures. And so that's the reason why, you know, Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine was developed, but like you said, got kicked in the teeth a lot. I still get kicked in the teeth every day, but you know, we pick ourselves up and, and we go forth. But I realized something before I opened the practice, I actually started my own digital marketing company and a few other things. So I was kind of a serial entrepreneur before that. And I learned a lot. And, I, and what I really learned was that if you ask the audience what they want, you always get the answer only if you're willing to listen. But in healthcare, nobody freaking listens, right? And so I think the practice of medicine hasn't changed in decades, well, hundreds of years, really. You know, the traditional one on one doctor with a stethoscope stepping in may not be very efficient when all of a sudden there's a global pandemic, which is exactly what's proven right in 2020. So that's where the why really came in. And the reason I wanted to develop something like this, but it's clear now in 2021 where the future is headed very, very shortly. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. So um, I guess what I'd really like to do then is for the rest of the integrative practitioners that are listening to this show, maybe considering how they might start to implement a lot of the same, which is how can I start to take advantage of opportunities in the payer system inside of my integrative practice? Now, you and I have been exchanging emails along with um, our uh, mutual colleague, TJ, over the last few months and starting to look at what are the specific types of reimbursement codes that are out there for an integrative practice. You and I have been talking about how do you bring sophisticated wearables into a medical practice. Just last week, you and I were on a call with a few people looking at whether or not the Apple Watch could be used in a remote patient monitoring reimbursable program. You know, these are exciting opportunities, bringing in the cutting edge technology and then figuring out the opportunities for reimbursement around said technologies. So maybe we can just put on the hat of, of an integrative practice here and just start running through what are some of the most uh, immediate opportunities starting perhaps with remote patient monitoring. I know you've had some lessons learned on that. I'd love to then talk a little bit about how you bring sophisticated wearables into a medical practice, Apple Watch, Aura Ring, Libre, Dexcom, all of that, the stuff that individuals are using day to day. And we, you and I have also kicked around some of the opportunities around engagement around photo and video that are very new, that is extremely exciting. 
There are opportunities now to engage patients based on events that are triggered from a consumer device. So um, these present nice opportunities. There's also been changes in the payer system recently where you can get reimbursed for parts that are covered, and then you can also have a part of that that's cash pay as well. So there's a lot that's going on right now. Maybe we could just start at the beginning, which is the fallout, basically, from COVID. I think it's overall been a win in terms of changes to the regulations and changes to remote monitoring reimbursement codes around that. So why don't we just start there with remote patient monitoring in the post-COVID era? What are the codes? How do you do it? Lessons learned. I mean, you've been through it a few times, so you've got the scars to prove it in terms of what works and what doesn't. Why don't we just start there? Remote patient monitoring. What is it? How do you roll it out? We're getting a ton of questions, so it'd be great to hear it from an expert. Yeah. So let's think high level first, because you know we get into technology, um, you get kind of lost because it's very complex, man. It's it's very complex and it can be very overwhelming. So let's start by, and I'm going to assume everyone who's on this call wants to improve themselves and their practice, wants to improve the way they do medicine, wants to be a good doctor or a good practitioner, whoever you are, a good health coach, right? And so the desire to get there, we often look for bridges. And these bridges are what the language that we're going to talk about uh, upcoming is how can we get to a place where we want to go, which is to serve, right? I want to be of service to my patients, to my employees, to my family, to the people that are around me. So in order to serve the people that I currently take care of and maybe people I haven't taken care of, first, I have to be able to serve, which is make money, right? Money has to come in to support this entire thing. And we often get really, really shy about talking about money, but this is business. And you know, people who are listening to this, are this is a business. And so we can't be shy about talking about the money. We also can't be shy about knowing that the money that we're going to be generating is also going to be helping us serve the best that we can. And the third part is that we have to be able to deliver the value of what we're trying to provide to the people so that in this age of digital media, there's no lashbacks, there's no you know, social media shaming and stuff like that, which I see a lot a lot, especially within the last year. Oh, my doctor is doing this and that and stuff like that. And so in order to, to adopt all this, we have to be able to understand what the deliverables are. What can we deliver to our patients? So when we talk about remote patient monitoring, what we're talking about is using technology, using devices to make sure that patients are taken care of that they are provided with the certainty that someone is um, overlooking them, not just their family, or if they don't have family, they have just themselves. Someone is helping them make sure that they're okay. Someone is uh, providing some sort of a connection because if you think about wearable devices, it is a connection, right? And so if you're a medical practice and you have a connection to the patient, that's a very valuable thing because it creates a level of certainty and safety, right? And they have to feel that they're significant enough. You know, it's not like, oh, my doctor just wants to do this to make money. No, you have to give them a level of you are significant. Therefore, I want to provide this with you. And this is, you know, outside of remote patient monitoring, this is everything that we do. Any sort of service line that you want to provide, you want to have those points that are delivered to the people. And so, and if you keep those, your core values 
and do a check mark of everything that you do to ascertain all those core values to serve the public, you're going to be just fine. Where I see the issue with remote patient monitoring for most practices is that they adopt a technology and they're like, we're going to enroll a bunch of patients and make some money and see what happens. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, what that creates is an even bigger monster because now you have tech and the tech can break and the tech uh, has to have troubleshooting. And then you have people like trying to understand what it is that you're exactly doing because you haven't given them the deliverables. You haven't told them exactly what this is for. Why? Um, if you just tell them that this is to prevent death is not really good enough. They have to have some sort of significance in there. Right. Is that, hey, if I see that your sleep quality on your ring, or if I see your blood sugar is going down, if I see your blood pressure is off, we have an alert that's set up that moves you to the top and we create these sort of outliers for you. And we're going to be able to take action on it so that you continue to feel you're significant and we're able to deliver that through this connection process. And that is called remote patient monitoring, Right. And so the remote patient monitoring codes are very new. Um, they're only two years old. <laughs> so, and then the newest remote patient monitoring codes are started in January 1st, 2021. And then 2022 has a whole new set coming up too. And so these changes, uh, so when I talk about codes, I'm talking about reimbursement codes from the government. So if you're an integrative health practitioner and you take cash, you can put these on the super bill. They may be able to get collect uh, some from the back payments from their insurance. Or if you do take medical insurance, you can actually bill those for those who have benefits for remote patient monitoring, like you know Medicare, military insurance, and even the major payers now, Blue Cross Blue Shield United and Aetna are reimbursed for these uh, remote patient monitoring codes. And so what you want to do is you want to be able to make sure that you're collecting data on one platform. <laughs> Very important. Everything integrates. You're able to log and you're able to see everything because if you don't see everything, you're only as good as the technology that you bring on and adopt on, right? And so, like I said, in the very beginning of this talk, that there's only one thing that's consistent within the medical business is technology. <laughs> that's the only thing that's consistent. Everything else that comes and goes. And you are consistent, whoever you are, right? And so me, I know I'm consistent. I know my technology is consistent. I know that I'm able to look at the data. I know that the data is correct. I mean, that's really important, right? If the data is incorrect, we're going to get a lot of outliers and numbers and it's able to distract us. And I need to be able to know that I can look at the data, make sure that's correct, reach out to the patients and have a script say, hey, you know, Mr. So-and-so, you know, usually, usually my staff reaches out and say, hey, we see that, you know, this number is off. I just want to make sure you're okay. You know, it could be through a text message, it could be a secure message. And guess what? People feel significant because it was like, oh, wow, you know, someone's on the other end. They have now a connection and they have now a tie. And so they will always have that feeling of safety. And that's what remote patient monitoring is. You're in I the business that. of yeah. delivering safety, right? I would safety. want my loved ones to have yeah. that, to know that if there's an irregular heartbeat or there's an anomaly with blood pressure or blood sugar, it's a comfort, especially if you're already in a high-risk medical condition. That level of peace of mind, I think, would be welcome. And is that what you see from patients who adopt this? It is, but from integrative health practice specifically, okay? You know, we put people on protocols and detoxes and food eliminations and stuff like that, right? And so we also get information off remote monitoring from that. I was like, hey, 
like take a picture of the foods you eat today. My health coaches will actually go over that and look at that with them, which by the way, it's all reimbursable by insurance. Even the pictures that you take that you send to the practice, there's an insurance code for it. Now it's brand new. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, picture or video or a text or something like that, as long as the communication is there, that itself is a very viable business because these are all reimbursable, pre-calculated reimbursable codes that are there. And so as long as your technology is good, right? As long as your technology has the ability to get data and then you have the ability to reach out because of the data, that itself is modernized medicine, right? And that takes away from the original one-on-one, you know, physician to patient or practitioner to patient or health coach to patient interaction because it allows a mass delivery of a system. And so, you know, Dave, you, you, you know, I was talking about making sure our loved ones are stable vitals, but I also want to make sure that if someone comes in and I'm seeing that they have, you know, they showing that they have labs that have inflammation, mold toxicity, intestinal malabsorption issues, that their stool samples are showing a lot of, a uh, lot of things that are going downhill. I want to be able to make sure I capture that as well. Well, how do you do that? Well, whenever a lot of the health systems are messed up, their sleep quality goes down. You know, if someone's on ordering or someone is on a Fitbit, you can see the sleep quality scores go down. I mean, something like that we want to be able to see as well, right? And so that means, that means, like I said, you're only as good as the system that you bring on. And if you bring on a system that's able to have all of that and have all of that in front of you, you can quickly go through, you can now deliver this fantastic level of service and you, what you're doing is that you're providing a tremendous amount of value, which is safety, security, which very few people can do. And that's what remote patient monitoring should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So you're doing a lot of the integrative testing as well. You're in stool, um, hormones, toxins, mold exposure. You're doing all of that stuff. And then you're also doing the, I'm, I'm imagining the conventional blood work as well. And then you've also got a remote monitoring component to that. So when the patient is not in the office or even if they've never come in, there's a connection. And that let's talk a little bit more about the specifically the RPM stuff. And for those who are listening and are not familiar with what this even is at all, there are now reimbursable codes to get this remote monitoring device. We all have, I'm not a doctor, but most listening have patients who are comfortable taking measurements at home. And that's, I think, about the simplest way you can explain it, which is there's incredible technology now being sold to individuals, blood pressure monitors, glucose monitors. These are made by companies like Withings and Nokia, Fitbit. They build these products for consumers from the ground up. All the user experience is entirely engineered. They are, in many cases, FDA-listed devices. They have to adhere to those types of standards. So it's taking all of this incredible technology that quite honestly, people are buying anyhow and using at home and now bringing it into the care model. When I started building Heads Up, these codes didn't exist. Like you said, they're two years old. So can you tell us specifically about the codes, what they are, and how do you even get on board with those? Sure. 
I won't list what the codes are because you can literally just type into Google remote patient monitoring. CPT yeah, we'll codes put them in the show notes as well. Yeah. So I'll tell you the nature of these and what it's intended for. So whenever new procedural codes come out, the intended function is to decrease healthcare costs. And, and we know remote monitoring actually decreases healthcare costs, right? So there's specific codes for onboarding a patient, installing the device on a patient, doesn't matter what device it is, right? There's codes for monitoring for the first 20 minutes, second 20 minutes, and on and on and on after that. And there's no longer a limitation as long as the patient has a justifiable cause for the monitoring, you know, whether you're tracking their weight or blood pressure or diabetes, whichever one it is. So as long as there's some sort of chronic disease, these remote patient monitoring codes can be used. And so, and we're not talking small numbers here. These are relatively large numbers, you know, relative to the work that needs to be done. You know, as, as, and as attractive as these codes are, you really have to know, once again, you're at the mercy of your technology. 100%. You're installing these codes and we've had issues before where we've been through several RPM corporate structures within our practice. So within our first company, we would have to reinstall the device because it would fail to connect and all these different things happen. And then we learn from other companies that, okay, well, there's devices that are good, that could be used, that, are, that cannot be used. And then we learn from the major corporations like Apple or Withings, which used to be Nokia, uh, within Google, that they're coming out in major publications with remote patient monitor devices you know, on the Apple Watch and with the Withings blood pressure monitor and stuff like that. So the big names are coming into play with remote monitoring. So we know this is where it's going to go. You know, the last two years, especially since coronavirus, you have a bazillion companies that are coming out. We're going to do this remote patient monitoring device. And we know that's where the future is going to go. And so it doesn't matter which device from which company it is, as long as you have patients, you onboard the patients, there's billable CPT codes for it. And then also, as long as you're monitoring them on a monthly basis ongoing, there's not necessarily limitations. If you think about this for a second, this was the original purpose of concierge medicine. If someone pays you a monthly subscription and you have added fee on top of that to take care of a patient. And so what CMS did, which is Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services did, is that they kind of built in almost a concierge model where you're able to monitor your patients. You have a guarantee monthly of what's going to come in, right? And then you're taking care of these people, um, which I think is a fabulous business plan. Uh, most of the time, it's actually not well executed because most of the time, you don't have one platform that integrates all the information, unfortunately, right? It's, it's like it's in a system by itself. So a lot of times, these companies are trying to integrate with EMRs and stuff like that. But you know, with something like Heads Up, for example, all of a sudden, you have integration, not just from devices, you have integration from labs, you can trend things, you have structured data, and I love structured data, because with the structured data, you can get data from all this and you can choose to publish it if you want to, you know, if you look at, for example, Cleveland Clinic Functional Medicine Program, right, so they published the HEDIS or in the promise scores, uh, actually, of, and they were able to collect data from people remotely to look at their scores. They published, hey, this is how well we do compared to the benchmark. We can now do that within your own medical practice as long as you have something to collect the data, right? I'll give you another example. Let's say that I want to, this is exactly what happened last month. I want to see all my patients with mold toxicity, right? So these patients who tested positive for, you know, whatever zelorinone toxin or whatever toxin it is, 
I want them in this cohort and I want to see what they're actually doing, what their labs are. And if I have a platform that gives me their vitals, if they have a continuous monitoring platform that tells me what's going on with them every day, what their sleep is, I can now see what this cohort is doing. That data is my data and data is priceless. And so that makes me a better teacher to my staff and to the other providers in my staff. That makes me a better provider, a better practitioner so that we're able to serve on a much higher level. And you're only at the mercy of the technology that can do that. But that's what you know. remote patient monitoring on the reimbursement side looks like. I think we're all at the mercy of technology, no matter what, no matter what it is. Yeah. A couple of things you said there that were awesome. Let's just rewind the tape a second here. The connection you made between concierge medicine and, and now what can be done with RPM, I'd, I'd never made that association before. But one could even make the point that the RPM is better because even a lot of concierge practices, they don't have the continuous data feeds. They don't have the technology in place to create those opportunities. Yeah, you get the doctor's cell phone and you can call them at two in the morning if there's an issue, but you're not instrumented with the absolute cutting edge in sensor technology. And so it might even make the case that it's a better type of implementation. So that was one interesting thing that you brought up. Can you just comment on that for a second while you have that thought. So um, better is a relative term, right? So we define better as something, let's define better as, as a business model, for example, right? So what makes a good business model is if you have predictive recurrent subscriptive revenue, right? That makes a really good business model. So traditionally medicine has not been that. Right. So if the doctor takes the vacation for two weeks, come back, there's going to be a dip in revenue. Does that make sense? And so we define better as a better predictive business revenue and knowing that uh, there's longevity within the business, then yes, a remote patient monitoring or chronic care management reimbursement structures are better because it's very predictive. And you know what the other thing is, is that I know a lot of practice spends a ton of marketing, right? So whenever you have a system like this, insurance companies actually assign you patients automatically who don't have access to a lot of healthcare. And so now you basically have a funnel from the insurance company say, hey, you know, we're Blue Cross Blue Shield. We want this patient taken care of. This patient is high risk patient. You have remote monitoring. We're asked by insurance companies to take wow. on patients. So you've got a funnel coming in from the insurance exactly. companies. Exactly. So you're decreasing. Yeah, you're decreasing risk. You're doing a great job. Costs, for right. You got people coming in the door. Right. You don't have to go out and find said individual. They're coming in to you because you have a proven technology platform to deliver this very high quality high-touch yep. care, these high-risk patients feel like someone's concerned on the other end. There's someone looking out for them. There's a peace of mind there. Plus, the technology is giving your staff, your health coaches, opportunities to teach these people how to read the data and learn how to self-monitor more effectively. Yeah. So it's just, it's really exciting. So it sounds like you had a few turns of the crank to get your own setup up and running. Would you yeah. say you're now at a place where you feel that you're you're very confident in the way you've built it and it's running and it's generating revenue for your specific practice, Ruan? So I'll tell you what, most of the hurdles we jump through is actually technology. It's not the reimbursement part because we know what the reimbursement is, right? So you build to insurance companies, you get back X amount of money at a certain time. That's pretty consistent, right? 
a majority of it is what happens when technology fails? What happens when there's a support staff that fails? What happens when the technology is not able to keep up with the demand of the information coming in? You know, and so the billing part and the engagement part is awesome. I mean, patients love it, but the technology part, that's still a, a moving process, right? And I think that as we go into you know 2022, we're optimizing currently every part of our technology uh, to make sure that everything becomes consistent because this is what happens. When you adopt like a remote patient monitoring platform, everything else will be stressed. Your phones will be stressed. Your billing department will be stressed. Your medical assistants, your front desk, your back office, there's a stressor that's put on because of the increase in engagement. So every aspect of that has to be really be optimized. So we're taking care of those ends right now, you know? And so we're using, you know, up and coming technologies to really do that, artificial intelligence. And so that's what really brings a solidified structure around it. So are we comfortable? We're comfortable. But, you know, as Tony Robbins always says, we're always at a state of constant and never-ending improvement. Um, And that's always going to be true because you kind of have to keep up with technology, you know? Yeah. What about the technology adoption on behalf of the patient? I mean, you talked about the stress on internally within your business, but... Out of 100 patients that you you want to enroll in a program like this, most people these days have a cell phone. They know how to download an app. They know how to register for something. They know how to connect a Bluetooth device to their phone. What percentage of people would you say there's a barrier even on getting the device connected and the data flowing? So let's talk about pre-COVID and after COVID. (laughs) Pre-COVID, a large percentage of the elderly, right? Uh, before some reason, coronavirus has made my 82-year-old uh, gentlemen into tech experts all of a sudden. Well, they've all been on Zoom for a year, uh, talking to the family, and they've had yeah. dad. All his appointments have gone virtual. He would have never done that before. It was right. just a kick in the ass. We all need it. Right. In 2020, uh, due to the pandemic, CMS changed their telemedicine rules to be instead of audio and visual to be audio only. And they haven't taken that away yet, by the way. So I think there's a lot of permanency in what the codes are. There's now phone call codes, by the way, if people don't know, just literally search phone call CPT CMS and you'll find all the phone call codes by five to 10 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes. There's codes that if you read a secure message on any platform that you have an email, a secure message, Anything that's written, there's a code for that too. And it's a seven-day timing conglomerate code. So all these things are actually very easy to find on the AMA website, American Medical Association websites. And then we just Google it, but you know, do some research behind it. But the technology adoption post-pandemic uh, or during pandemic is exceptionally high because of the added value. Once again, it's a value delivery, right? What is your deliverable? The added value of digital touches, if you will. And so people are now know that, hey, because of a global pandemic, I want to be safe. I don't want to go out too much. But what's my only way of human communication is through digital platforms, right? And so I see a lot of my colleagues don't survive, didn't survive COVID very well because they're not able to pivot to a digital platform. When they try, they get taken advantage of um, by different companies and then nothing really follows through. So that pivoting is not necessarily there. But from the patient adoption side, it's pretty high. So I'll give you an example. Right now, 
our most common way of patients communicating with us. Can, can you guess what the most common way of patients communicating with us is? Just text guess. Message. Text message. Yeah, text message. <laughs> By far. We used to get about 360 calls a day, and we've got down to less than one-third that now. But text messages is there. And we're, we're actually adopting a new platform that's even going to reduce down even further. People like text message, even the elderly like text message. Then the other thing is I want to mention is that because people are very adapt to text messaging, we're very adapt to answering in a lot of time because that text message can now be funneled to the people that can answer this particular question on the back end. So with remote patient monitoring, there's a lot of questions like, oh my God, I got this beep and what happened when this heart rate is high? What does this mean? So we get a lot of messages coming in, but guess what? All those are what's called billable events as well. So, I mean, we allocate a whole day for myself and other practitioners and health coaches, literally just sit there and to go through these messaging and see what we find, you know, and sipping on a latte. I call it latte money. So you just sit there with a latte and then you're actually generating revenue by actually making sure that people are well, well connected through secure text messaging platforms and all stuff like that. And so remote patient monitoring allows us to do that. And let me tell you, people love that. And when you're providing value on a text, on a short phone call to these people, guess what? Whatever you are going to offer, they're going to buy into because you're the one that's providing the value, not anyone else. So we ended up getting patients from literally no joke all over Texas. Right. And so we're in Houston. So we get it from, uh, you know, Dallas, which is four hours away, San Antonio, which is three and a half hours away. Sometimes to El Paso, by the way, it's an 11 hour drive for me to El Paso, Texas, Texas is that big. And, uh, you know, we're getting people from all over come in just to adopt onto the platform and they'll go back to whatever home there are because we have the market share in this at this time, because we were early adopters and we're able to get this value out. Um, when COVID started, we had a coronavirus drive-through clinic. So we had a four tent drive-through. One of my friends, Daryl, he helped me set it up. He was in the Marines. So it's literally like Marines tent, right? And so uh, we had the patients drive through, put them on remote patient monitoring, they drive back out. But we were able to identify within that week, three people that needed hospitalization for COVID-19, right? And they all lived, by the way, so good for them. But over that period of time, we identified so many different people. We identified two people who thought they had COVID and ended up having significant heart failure due to other different things. So we're able to get all of this different data very fast. But it's because, like you said, the, the patients like to adopt onto the platform. And if the patients didn't, then their family members will put them onto a platform and we communicate with their family members, especially our dementia program. Most of it is the caregivers that actually have the data access and access to us as well. So the adoption rate's pretty dang high after COVID. I can't tell you a percentage because I haven't tracked. Pre-COVID, it was about 42%. Post-COVID, I, I haven't tracked just because most people kind of say yes to it. But the adoption percentage is always what value can you deliver? We deliver value through text messaging, secure text, secure messaging, through phone calls, through phone calls, five-minute check-ins. My health coaches do that as well. But more importantly, and this is something that's new, Dave, for 2021, is that all the things in Medicare that we had to do to show Medicare that we provide value, like the Medicare annual wellness questionnaire, depression screen, all the stuff like that, all that could be delivered through the digital platform, whether through remote patient monitoring or some sort of digital platform. 
So the more data we collect from that, we report that for ACO, which is about accountable care organization that contracts with Medicare. And they say, hey, you're in the top one percentile. Here's a star. And that's exactly what happened, right? And so basically the term is called advanced care practitioners. And so you're actually rewarded for the technology that you bring on and the value that you deliver. And the patients are very likely to reciprocate that. And it's been a tremendous process. So if you don't believe me, just... Actually, just go to Google, type in Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, and actually look at our Google reviews. So, I mean, that's how well uh, we've been able to do this, you know? And so I think that moving in 2022, the adoption rate is going to even be higher. And in 2022, even more CPT codes and new coding guidelines are changed. 2021 was the biggest coding change since 1993. And this has been written back in 2016, but I don't think it was until COVID-19 actually occurred. They're like, okay, we got to make this official. So 2021, the new 2021 CPT guidelines are more time-based. They're more value-based and um, it's more predictable reimbursement. And so for, it doesn't matter if you're integrative health or conventional practitioner in any specialty, the entire guideline is different now, but it allows us to reimburse at a higher level for the things that we actually do. And you have remote patient monitoring on top of that. So this is a better time than any to kind of step into that insurance light, uh, if you will. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was on a, a webinar series that was on um, virtual practices with Tom. Yes. And that was uh, a few months back. And his core thesis on that series of webinars was re-engaging the payer system for a lot of practitioners who had stepped out, especially for integrative doctors. And some of the points he was making were along the lines of integrative doctors who have to work on really hard cases, like, for example, autoimmune and uh, mold and other ones that take a lot more time. And they were not able to really get reimbursed in the past for the extra time that they were spending. So there's been changes in terms of how they get paid for extra time, there's been a reduction in the documentation burden. There's been new opportunities for doing a lot of this stuff remotely. So his core thesis was very similar to what you just described, which is a lot has changed in 2021. There's new opportunity to get back into these types of revenue models. It does require, like you said, it does require a technology platform or probably multiple platforms out there, depending on where you want to start. It sounds like you're covering a lot of different angles. If, if you had just a couple words of advice in closing here, Dr. Ruan, for practices that are thinking of re-engaging the payer system, what are the first one or two or three things you think they would look at or where they should start in terms of getting back in and, and starting to look at new revenue streams and new opportunities. Could you break down a few simple ones to start with? Because you've obviously got a lot of progress made in your business, but where should someone start? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, it seems overwhelming, especially going from maybe a cash-based practice or no practice at all into a, an integrative-based insurance practice. So the first step, and this is very general. It doesn't have to necessarily do with the practice. It has to do with you is who do you want to serve? Like, who's your avatar? I mean, avatar, I mean, it's like, who's that one person that you want to serve? And you might think, I want to serve everyone. I want to serve people who are in, in help. But who's that one demographic that you want to serve? Focus on what that demographic needs. And engineer structures within that particular demographic and hyper-focus on that, right? And so I think people try to go outside the box a little too much, which, you know, I'm guilty of that as myself. 
but understand who is it that you're trying to serve. So that's the first step. The second step is what value do you want to bring to the world? What was the legacy that you want to bring to that person that you're trying to serve, right? And so, you know, some of you may decide, no, I want to stick in the cash practice. I like what I'm doing. I'm, the value that I'm bringing, I, I love it. Great. But if that was true, you probably wouldn't be listening to me right now. So if you're the type of person to say, hey, maybe what? Maybe I mean, you want to serve. Yeah, right. So maybe you want to serve on the other people and, and take medical insurance then great and solidify that and go all in. And then the third thing is to create the actual business plan based on what you're able to do. For example, right now, because of COVID, you can actually get a Medicare number really quickly. And it takes a couple of weeks tops. It used to take freaking months to do, right? And CMS has actually digitalized the majority of their platform before you have to go through all sorts of hoops to do all sorts of different things. And credentialing was just a huge problem. But if you don't want to do that, there's companies that do it for you. But talk to as many people as possible. There's, there's never too much, always too few. Talk to as many people as possible in different industries of what you're trying to step into and who already target the demographic that you're in, talk to them, see what their pain points are, write them down and see if you can overcome the pain points, you know? But, you know, I'm holding an online summit, which is the Private Practice AI Upgrade Summit. And I'll learn more about it is, uh, is newcptcodes.drsummits.com. So, Dr. Summits. We'll post it here on the show. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. And so go on there, register that, but that's about upgrading a private practice to the practice of what you desire using technology as leverage. Actually, Heads Up is going to be featured on there as well. So what I want people to understand is that build the structure first before you execute, build it on paper. It's like, you know, my wife and I are building a house. We put literally build everything on, on paper first before breaking ground. Same thing with your practice. Uh, know who's going to be uh, billing for you, know your structures that you need to set up around assistance and reach out, just reach out to people that's done it before in the past. They don't have to be in the integrative practice. They have to be in the practice that's within your field um, because the pain points are going to be the same and <laughs> they're not that far off. Right. And I think that if you kind of follow these three, and I think the most important one though is the first one is who do you want to serve? Mm-hmm. You know, get that down. I used to uh, have a consulting company. I consult with a lot of people who want to start their own practice. And in the consulting practice, every person focuses on every type of patient population. And we as practitioners and as caregivers always feel guilty not thinking about the other people, right? But you have to start somewhere. And that's how business works. Who is your ideal customer? And you start with the ideal customer, form a structure around it, and then you can pull in the other people one by one and see if your structure can hold that support. If your structure that you built can't support the people you're pulling in, don't do it yet, okay? Until you get good at this. You get good at this one thing and then you move on. And, you know, Dave, you and I are entrepreneurs. So obviously I'm speaking this from experience, right? And so everything that I'm saying right here, I've made those mistakes. And just like any entrepreneur, the more mistakes you make, the more successful you'll become as long as you get back up. That's probably the best way to end it, Dr. Ron, which is if you're not making mistakes, you're really not pushing yourself out there far enough and learning. And we're building a technology platform. We're not serving patients per se, but it's no different with us. 
we'll build something and put it out there and it'll break 20 times before we get it right, but we'll get it right. So I think failure is a part of it. And I, I think we should probably emphasize that part of it as well. Cause if you haven't been down the path before, that's just something you have to get comfortable with. So I think having that mindset can also be really helpful. Right. Well, you know, another point is that I never work with companies that's always been successful because that does not exist and doom is about to come, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so if you work, if you um, start working with companies and vendors and stuff like that, that support your medical business, um, make sure they failed first, make sure they learn from that failure. And that's one of the ways I vet companies is tell me your biggest failures and what you learn from it. And uh, if they have troubles coming with that, or if they're too new, uh, to come up with that, then it's not necessarily worth doing business uh, with them. And that's, that's what I learned as well. Hey, you know, Mike, I think it was Mike Tyson. He said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> it's really no different in the business world, honestly. So um, I think we've both got our battle scars over the years. But if you're passionate and love what you do, you just get back up and you just you go at it again and you just keep going until you get through. That's kind of my motto in life. So getting punched in the mouth is sometimes the most motivating thing that happens to me during my week. So uh, if you're in the middle of looking at, at a change in your business model, based on what we talked about here today, just understand that there'll be ups and downs along with it. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. Dr. Ron, we're just in the early innings of, of our collaborations together. So I'm really looking forward to working with you over the next little while. You've actually already been immensely helpful to us just within the last few weeks. You've been very generous with your time and your expertise. So I want to personally thank you for that. And thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with you as we Excellent. work together. Thanks for joining Excellent. us here. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 